Hello and welcome to Search for Truth. It's so good to enjoy the pleasure of your company in our Bible study time with Brian Johnson. Thanks for tuning in. Brian's study today is again looking into the Gospel by Mark and it's called Seeing Half the Picture. Mark gradually reveals who Jesus is in his record of events which take place during the last three years of Jesus' life and ministry. And today we look particularly at chapters 8 and 9 of Mark. Uh, And if you wish to follow, you've got a Bible, then here's Brian to start us off. Thanks, John. Yes, we've arrived at the halfway point of Mark's version of the story of Jesus' life on earth. His gospel hinges on the confession Peter made When in answer to Jesus' question, who do you say that I am, Peter had answered, you are the Christ. To any Jew, this was a reference to the one that they were all expecting. The term Christ literally means the anointed one. Jesus, Peter confessed, was the promised anointed king. Mark has been arranging his narration of Jesus' life so as to provide us with evidence of Jesus' authority, his kingly authority. Mark has previously told us about a man whose blindness Jesus healed in two stages. At the halfway point of his miraculous healing, the man could only half see. In other words, in fact, in his own words, he saw men as trees walking, which obviously means he saw things, but they weren't sharply in focus. At this halfway point of Mark's gospel, Peter and the disciples are also at the half-blind stage, They've got half the picture. They now believe Jesus is the king, but they misunderstand why he has come. Of course, the assumption is that a king will ascend the throne and benefit his people. Like others belonging to his nation, Peter is expecting that Jesus will restore Israel's fortunes and rid them of their Roman masters. For all those, like Peter, who were thinking along those lines at that time, what Jesus said next was really shocking. This is from verse 31 of Mark 8. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan! for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Upon Peter's confession, Jesus warned the disciples to tell no one about him. The reason for this would become immediately clear. It was because they, as yet, as we said, had only half the story. Jesus went on to tell them that he had not come to be made king then. To encourage the inappropriate ambitions of others would be a problem if the disciples went on to do that. Rather, Jesus tells them that he's come to die. He did this to correct their natural but mistaken view of the anointed king. This was not the time for him to restore the kingdom to Israel. The culmination of his present mission on earth would not be a crown and a throne, but in fact it was going to be a cross and a tomb. It's hard for us to realise just how nonsensical this would have seemed to Peter and the other disciples. Christ and crucify were just two words that didn't belong together. They couldn't or shouldn't be connected in a single sentence. They had nothing in common. But here was Jesus plainly saying that the Son of Man, 
by which he was referring to himself, was going to suffer. The Jews had never seen this coming. They read and loved the writings of the Bible prophets, but somehow they'd all been blinded to this. It's true Bible prophets such as Daniel had shared visions of a glorious reigning son of man, but on the other hand, Bible prophets such as Isaiah had written of God's servant who would suffer. We all, however, have a tendency to hear only what we want to hear and to filter out what doesn't appeal or doesn't even make sense to us. Whenever, to this day, when Jews read the Old Testament, they do this. But the text is clear when it describes both the glories and sufferings of its central figure, the one the Jewish people were waiting for. Jesus and later his disciples would clarify that the sufferings came first, then the glories. It was through sufferings that the long-expected king would enter into his glories. In fact, it must be this way. Jesus plainly now declares that he, the Son of Man, must suffer. That was too much for Peter. He at once protested that this could never be. With his characteristic forwardness, Peter actually took Jesus to one side and rebuked him for saying such an impossible thing. The Lord, who moments before had told Peter that he'd been blessed with God-given insight into Jesus' true identity, now sharply rebuked Peter. Jesus recognised that the devil was using Peter as his spokesperson at that moment in what would be another futile attempt to divert Jesus from his path to the cross. Jesus told Peter that he was guilty of being focused on human interests and not on God's interests. God's plan in sending his son, Jesus, into this world was centred on the cross. Peter wouldn't be the last follower of Jesus who wrongly thought that following Jesus is the way to prosperity now. Many of us have probably seen the famous advertisement which, as the story goes, Ernest Shackleton ran in the newspaper to try to recruit men for his endurance expedition. This is what it says. Men wanted for hazardous journey, low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return doubtful, honour and recognition in event of success. This advertisement is one of the most famous in all history. It's frequently quoted as one of the best examples of copywriting, and it's been quoted many times. However, I was interested to discover, its origins are obscure. No one has actually seen the advert printed in a newspaper, although the Antarctic Circle has a $100 reward for anyone who can find it. It's a reward that has not yet been claimed. Be that as it may, the popularity of this advert, apocryphal or otherwise, encourages me to quote it once again, but only to highlight the much more far-reaching advert for Christian discipleship that Jesus himself has posted. Compare this. I'm now reading Mark 8 and verse 34. Jesus summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? 
For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. As with the King, so with his subjects. The way to glory is through suffering. Christians, if authentic followers of Christ, were never promised an easy life. It's quite rational if in this world only we should wish to save our life. However, when we bring faith into the frame and extend our thoughts to consider also the world to come, then it becomes perfectly rational to choose to lose our life in this world. The reason being, that's the way to save it in the world to come, which is a more meaningful thing to do. For most of Christ's followers, this will not now be about martyrdom, as it would turn out to be for those earliest followers. But losing one's life for Christ now would involve self-sacrificing choices, choices based on faith in a longer-term investment beyond this life. In Mark's next chapter, the Lord explains that those who are divorced should deny themselves the right to another marriage. For others, their denying of themselves may be embracing the shame of aligning with the Bible's plain teaching. Jesus then continued to address his disciples. Truly I say to you, he said, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and brought them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his garments became radiant and exceedingly white, as no launderer on earth can whiten them. Elijah appeared to them, along with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. But he didn't know what to answer, for they became terrified. Then a cloud formed, overshadowing them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. All at once they looked around and saw no one with them anymore except Jesus alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, he gave them orders not to relate to anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man rose from the dead. They seized upon that statement, discussing with one another what rising from the dead meant. They asked him, saying, Why is it that the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he said to them, Elijah does first come and restore all things, and yet how is it written of the Son of Man that he will suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to you that Elijah has indeed come, and they did to him whatever they wished, just as it's written of him. In coming to earth as a man, Jesus, God's Son, had emptied himself of all visible splendour like this. To stimulate the faith of Peter, James and John, they were given this glimpse. Moses, one of the two Old Testament characters to appear with him, had once asked, Show me your glory. Surely this episode was a bonus, to be seen with the Lord in his glory in the promised holy land. But then Peter's ill-considered comment got him into further trouble. He offered to make three booths or three tabernacles, one for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. The reprimand this time came from heaven. It singled out Jesus as the only one to listen to. This makes the point that we shouldn't put anyone on a par equal with Jesus. Sadly, that's what this world's religions do. 
they put people on a par with Jesus. Mark here makes it very plain. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is incomparable. What this episode also emphasises again is the way to glory is through suffering. The other Gospel writers tell us that the topic of Moses and Elijah's conversation with Jesus was all about his death or his exit from this world. The glorious backdrop for this solemn topic demonstrated graphically that Jesus would ascend from the shameful cross to the glorious throne in heaven. After his present sufferings, there would indeed be future and eternal glory. I'd like to remind you again that there's a book which contains the transcripts of all the talks in this series and it can be yours if you'd like a copy just write in by post or email and to obtain it just ask for Take Your Marks Gospel you can do it by post or email and here's our address Search for Truth, Hayes Press The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Button Bassett Swindon, SN4 8DY UK our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info Now you might be interested to know as well that you can listen again to many of these broadcasts off-air by audio, podcast or mp3 versions. If you go to www.searchfortruth.podbean.com you can browse the list of previous talks and you'll see the list there and different categories so you can find what you're looking for. So I hope you get on okay. Time's nearly up, but I hope you've enjoyed today's talk, found it helpful, and please join us again next week if you can for a further study in the Gospel of Mark. Until then, it's cheerio and very best wishes from our Bible teacher Brian, our producer David, our singers, and me, John. So may God richly bless you. Goodbye. Yeah.